1: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at Chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: VDW Group. No purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: You don't put those inside of you, do you?
2: This is a show about women.
3: I mean, you do? Yes.
2: Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated...
4: We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to
2: Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent and this season I am joined full time by world renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all new Beauty Translated love line at... 678 561 2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This is the place to be if you're ready for the best podcasts of the paranormal. Curious and sometimes unexplained. Now listen to this.
6: The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only.
7: For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Whether this is your first show or you've been with us over three years, I really want to welcome you. This subject, life after death, is so important, not just because it helps us realize that our loved ones live on and that we're going to see them again. I know it helps us through our grief, but I also know it helps us have a good life while we're here. We can start to look at life through the lens of there's a bigger picture, that my life must be for a reason. And when we start to imagine that our loved ones who have passed are now our biggest cheerleaders supporting us from that unseen world, loving us, knowing that we are here to learn, to grow, to experience, to love, to forgive, to really taste the rainbow as far as having new experiences, it can make our life A little bit different. I've said in the past there are three fears that all humans share. One is the fear of dying. One is the fear of failure. And the last is the fear of being alone. Those are the three biggies. I know we have others, but those are the three biggies. So if we can get to a place that we realize that we don't die, that our loved ones are around, well, check that off as fear number one handled, the fear of failure, everything, and I mean everything in your life, is experience for the soul. Even people that have invented some miraculous things, they couldn't have done it without failure. So whatever it is you are dealing with in your life, know that you're on the right track And failure is actually a good thing because you're one step closer to success. And the fear of being alone, well, you're never alone. Certainly our loved ones give us privacy. As the book title, Do Dead People Watch Me in the Shower? says, we have that question. And no, they don't. We have our privacy. But believe me, Love is all around. They can have one foot in our world and one foot in theirs, where they continue to live and go after their dreams and explore. But as seen on so many wonderful evidential medium demonstrations, they are with us. Today, I want to do a few things. One, compliments of our friends at IANS, which is the International Association for Near Death Studies. You can find them at ians.org, we're going to hear from a pathologist, Peter Cummings, about his near-death experience. If you remember a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a funeral director, and she sent me a packet of things about preparing for the inevitable. I'm not ready to plan my funeral. No, I'm not. But I'm kind of curious if I were going to, could I put a little fun and funeral, take away this fear and mystique about the fact that our bodies are going to go, but we are going to continue on the adventure or the vacation of our dreams. And the last thing is a question that just came up yesterday. Is there such things as earthbound spirits? So you just hang out for this episode, and we'll get to all those good things and more. So first, I want to play for you some words from pathologist Peter Cummings.
3: I'm a forensic pathologist and a neuropathologist. I've conducted thousands of autopsies, investigated thousands of deaths, cut thousands of brains as a neuropathologist and a neuroscientist. My career was really taking off and it was the major focus of my life as most physicians are. Going to medical school is a self-selecting group of people. You're overachievers, you're a little bit type A competitive, not necessarily competitive with the world around you, but certainly hyper-competitive with yourself. You take failure as a personal insult and motivates you to become greater at what you do. And that was my MO at the time. It was my career. I was in that sort of upswing phase of the young career. I've been practicing since 2004. I was a professor of anatomy and neurobiology at a big medical school in Boston and you know, had all the academic checks and won, won teaching awards and written books. So it was that was the focus of my life at, at the time and it was work, 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 work. Philosophically, I was an atheist, hardcore. You couldn't convince me otherwise. And with my work, just really reinforce that because I can cut a brain and I can put it out for you and I'll ask you, where's consciousness? Where is the soul? This doesn't exist. There's no proof for it in this brain. And everything that we think about as that process of consciousness, death is the dying brain. And it can be very easily explained through hypoxia, the chemical reactions that happen as the brain begins to die, which do happen. But we get into confusing awareness with consciousness, but that's maybe another day. So that's where I was at the time. And it wasn't really anything I ever thought about. wasn't part of my life to worry about these kind of questions. I was more concerned with getting publications on my CV and finishing a book that I had just written with a colleague that we were about to start a big book tour, which raised some eyebrows at my institution. And I had to have some fight for my academic freedom of speech. So I was involved in some really heavy academic nonsense that at the time was really enjoyable. You live for that kind of stuff in, in that world. was my wife's 50th birthday, and we had gone to Costa Rica to celebrate. And my wife and I have been together 26 years and have some significant differences. And I thought this trip to Costa Rica was going to be a resort trip, sitting on a beach, sipping umbrella drinks and surfing. And it was really 10 days of survivor, which is really her speed. She loves to be out and being in nature and just conquering and surviving. And that's not me. I like to be comfortable. So we go on this whitewater rafting trip and I'm terrified. And I should preface the story a little bit with the idea that I grew up in Maine or always around lakes and water, terrified of water, hate water, I hate being around it. I was always terrified I was going to drown. I always found excuses to not be in the water because I just always felt like I was going to drown. The other thing I used to do, and I never put these pieces together until after this, and this might make sense after the story. I used to get really bored in school. And one of the things I would do is I would hold my breath watch the second hand on the clock, see how long I could hold my breath and then try to beat that record. And that's how I spent most of my elementary middle school. And I always thought someday I'm going to need this. So fast forward 30 years down the road and I'm on this whitewater rafting trip. It was one of the most technically difficult rivers in the world. We had our 10 year old son with us, which I'm thinking as we're going down this river, this is probably not great parenting, but he had a great time. And we flipped and I went under and I didn't panic. I did all the things you're supposed to do, put my feet up and coming through the rapid. And I thought, oh, this is fun, bouncing around these big waves. And then I got pulled under a couple of times. I got caught in a hydraulic and I couldn't get out. And I was stuck at the bottom of the river. And I came up, came down several times. And there was a point where I was drowning and I knew it. And I thought to myself very clearly, I remember thinking, you're drowning. This is it. This is the end. And I was thinking, shouldn't I be more upset about this? This is actually very calming. And I thought about the autopsies I'd done on people who had drowned. And I thought, well, this is a lot what you read about in books, that this is supposed to be a very peaceful way to die. And then I remember thinking, what the heck has taken so long? And I'm underwater. And at that point, everything stopped. And I was next to this huge boulder, which was under the water. And all the bubbles had stopped. Everything stopped. And I moved my hand through the bubbles and they all just moved around my hand in this very kind of weird way. And then there was this bright light. And all this is happening simultaneously. The human brain processes it sequentially. I don't have the words for these. At that point, I was able to see everything around me, 360 degrees. I see it, but more of experiencing it, more than seeing it. I knew that my wife had been pulled out. I knew it was a yellow kayak. I knew it was the guy down the river. I knew my son was in the other boat. I knew the boat behind me was coming to get me. I knew that my family member that was going through a very difficult personal crisis that I didn't know about, that I knew about, and I knew it was going to be okay. So that was happening while I'm in this light situation. And just this incredible overcoming feeling of love and a voice saying, They're going to be okay. So I get really emotional still, not because it's upsetting, but because I'm in that moment of that beauty. It was just so beyond experience. And I knew my family was going to be okay. And the voice said, they don't need you. They're going to be fine. And that was a moment where I just was like, this is amazing. And they just kept repeating, they're going to be okay. They don't need you. You're done. Good job. At that point, a voice in the back of my head was shouting, you're just hypoxic, you're just hypoxic, hold your breath, you have to beat your record, you have to beat your record. And at that point, the light just vanished, there was a giant sucking sound, and I slammed up against the rock and popped out of the water. When I came up, the boat behind me was almost to me, but I couldn't see anything. I say my vision was like uh, a viewmaster. One of those old viewmasters, I could see, and it was gone. See, and it was gone. I couldn't see motion. And we were through that rapid. And as the water slowed and the boat came up to me, the guide in the boat put the paddle out for me to grab. And I remember reaching up and being in moments of blackout thinking, if I don't grab this paddle, I am done. And that's the last thing I remember.
7: I'm going to stop Dr. Cummings' story right now, just because we need to take a break. And then I don't want to interrupt the next part that's coming. But Dr. Cummings was an atheist. Didn't believe in any of this. Thought any stories of people seeing the light. This is hypoxia. This is a normal part of the brain shutting down, which is actually something that science has proven that that is not true. They're not willing to say what happens, but they know it's something extraordinary. If you've seen the film After Death, it is filled with doctors talking about near-death experiences and reasons to believe in the afterlife. So I do like hearing medical personnel whose lives are transformed. Let's go to the break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
6: Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I don't understand
3: what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes.
5: This is a show about Women.
0: I'm George Norrie. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
5: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
5: Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
6: Hey everyone, it's producer Tom of Coast to Coast AM and more Sandra starts right now.
7: Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. This has been a big year for near-death experiences and doctors telling their story. That movie I mentioned, After Death, is doing pretty well in box offices right now and features so many doctors telling stories of remarkable things that happen In these near death experiences. It was earlier this year, 2023, that a study by dozens of scientists with the New York Academy of Sciences announced that near death experiences are not hallucinations. They are not part of the ordinary dying process. They aren't willing to say what a near death experience is. But I think you and I know what it is, which is good evidence that our consciousness lives on after death. One of the things that really told them that it is something else is the cases of blind people, been blind since birth, who had vision in a near death experience. Also, the verifiable information that we've talked about, people that have floated above their bodies. Have seen, for instance, a red high heel shoe on top of the hospital when they floated out of their body, only to have someone go to the roof, and that shoe was there. Let's continue now hearing the story of Peter Cummings. He's a forensic pathologist, neuropathologist, and like he said in the beginning, has cut open thousands of brains as a neuroscientist. He was a hardcore atheist, and lo and behold, on a trip to Costa Rica, he was thrown out of a raft and into the water where he saw the white light. So let's continue with his experience.
3: We were through that rapid, and as the water slowed and the boat came up to me, the guide in the boat put the paddle out for me to grab. And I remember reaching up and being in moments of blackout thinking, if I don't grab this paddle, I am done. And that's the last thing I remember. And then what I do remember next was being in the boat and not being able to breathe. And we're in the middle of the rainforest. There's no way out of here. There's 28 miles of river is our only exit. So I immediately slip into this emergency medicine mode, ABCs, airway breathing circulation, trying to see if I'm okay. I'm the only doctor for hours, right? I'm really worried about if I have water in my lungs, because that can cause problems uh, later down the road in the next 24, 48 hours. You can have intense inflammatory reactions in your lungs that can kill you. It's called near drowning. But I felt okay. I didn't feel like I had any water in my lungs. What I realized had happened is I had a laryngeal spasm. And it's something called a dry drowning. So when water irritates your voice box, it closes off. And it's a reflex. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I remember being in the boat, trying to breathe and thinking, that's really great, Cummings. You survived it, you got in the boat, you die in the boat that's you know typical you know, so knowing that this is a reflex I'm trying to calm myself down and I start being able to get little little breaths in eventually, I was able to breathe we continued down the river like nothing had really happened, and I didn't really think much of it the rest of the day like, I got my son I got my family I'm trying not to be freaked out by this and that night when we got back to where we were staying, I remember looking at my Apple watch because I'm a I'm kind of a health freak, and I'm I'm obsessed with my heart rate, Um, sleeping heart rate, resting heart rate. So I I have a constant awareness of my heart rate. And I looked at my Apple Watch, and I had eight minutes of unrecorded heart rate in that time period. Now, it's an electronic device, sure, but also takes the heart rate at intervals. So at least in those eight minutes, I had a period of time where I had no registered heart rate. It never happened before in that watch. It never happened after that in that watch. It didn't happen the rest of the time. And at that point, I started to think something, something happened. And we continue with the vacation. The next day, we're going down the river. And I'm a little freaked out by being in the river at this point. And we're paddling down. My son says, look at that butterfly on the boat. And I look over, and it's this huge blue butterfly. And I was like, "I said, Ben, that's not a butterfly. That's a bird. And he said, no, it's a butterfly. And it was so big. And it was a blue morpho. I didn't know anything about this butterfly until way later, about a couple of years later. It followed us the entire 28 miles down the river. Everybody saw it the whole way. The next day, we were rappelling down some waterfalls. And I don't mean beside them, in them, right? This is my wife. This is a survivor vacation. So we're rappelling down 150 foot waterfalls. And there's the blue morpho by my son the whole way. And so we called it Angel grand because my mom died a number of years ago. So that was really profound. I didn't know about that until coming back, which is where I would jump to the after effects. I was on vacation, didn't really have much on my mind when we came back. And I started to notice I was having a lot of problems with time, judging time, estimating time. You know how you're doing something, you get lost in it, and you forget how much time you spent. That was every moment of my day. And it wasn't so much a problem on vacation. But when I went back to work, when I had a really heavy lecture schedule, I had labs and places I had to be, trains I had to catch. It became a really big problem. I was late for things. I would be on my way to teach a class and run into somebody in the hall and start talking and 30 minutes would go by. So as I started to notice these time things happening, I realized that something was different. I became very uncomfortable with my career pursuit. Those things weren't important to me anymore. I've written a couple of very bad novels, but I say that I was the best character I ever created because I was this piece of paper and I couldn't identify with that anymore. Those things weren't important to me. Here I was in this intense Boston, malignant academic environment and it made me physically ill. I just couldn't be there anymore. Jumping off of that, we ended up moving to Maine where we're from, living in the woods and having a great life. But the after effects were very difficult and I didn't have a way to deal with it. So what I actually did is I write, and I ended up writing a book. I don't know if I'll ever see the light of day, but that was really the catalyst for me to figure out what happened. That pushed me to do what I say. I'm doing my own death investigation of my own consequences of that action. And it led me to an incredible world of research that I had no idea existed. The thing that was the most important for me in terms of turning the corner, it was a very intrusive, negative experience that I did not want in my life. Completely derailed. Everything. I changed my course of my career, my life, my relationships. It's difficult to talk to people about it. It's alienating. When I did try to tell people about it, it was like, oh, that sounds really horrible. It's a good thing you're still here. Let's get a beer. It wasn't like I needed you to understand it. I just needed you to hear it because I needed to process it, which propelled me to write the book. But the thing that really turned the corner for me was Elaine Stout's paper, "Six Challenges Faced by Near Death Experiencers. That was probably the most profound thing I've ever read in my life. And every single one of us. yes, yes. 75% of people who experience have a very hard time integrating this into their lives. And I knew nothing about these experiences other than what I'd seen in movies. I thought everybody came back and it was beautiful and you loved God and you quoted scriptures and everybody was happy. It was the opposite for me. So I had a really hard time reconciling that. And so the stout paper really made me feel very good about where I was. And I'm a newbie. It's only, what, three years, three and a half years or so post my experience. So I'm still trying to figure this all out. And I'm no great expert or pontiff on it. I'm still struggling. But what it really taught me, and I think really having this issue with being able to separate from time allows me to understand that what we do is we put great importance on the past, and on the future. And we focus so much on those two things. Are those, that's where our importance is. But the value is here, right now. And getting out of those boundaries of time allowed me to put the importance where the value is and where I am right now. The people I'm with right now, which I say that the gift of death is is teaching the ability to let go and to be alive. I mean, what's the point of music? point of music is to listen. What's the point of life? The point of life is to live. And that really helped me come to grips with who I am as a husband, a father, a human, my place on the planet. So that's been incredible. And I, I think as physicians, we all try to practice this thing called evidence-based medicine, in which we need data and proof to treat patients so that they can get the best care possible. And through that, we really pathologize death. We sterilize it. We try to prevent it. We medicalize it. And we shield ourselves from it. Funerals happen very quickly after death. It's very fast. No one sees the body. And you go very quickly back into life. We're not experiencing death. We've made it so sterile and kept it behind this curtain that we don't get a chance to really experience and celebrate the, the transformation that is happening. And I think as physicians, like I think back to all the times as a forensic pathologist, I knocked on doors to tell people that loved ones were dead. I brought people down into the morgue to identify bodies. Um, I've sat with families in very horrible circumstances. And the number one question I've always been asked is, did they suffer? And as a physician, you always say, no, of course not. This was." Sudden, and we try to make them, try to comfort them. But I always felt like a liar because I don't know, right? Now I know. And I wish I could talk to those people again and say, look, this is beautiful. And even under these horrible circumstances, the horrible circumstance is a second. The process after that is incredible. And there's nothing to worry about in that regard. And I say that no amount of worry will transform your future. No amount of grief is going to transform your, fix your past. And you just have to be where you are right now
7: and just and, and love that. Be where you are right now. Be in the moment. It was an incredible story that Dr. Cummings had. And while none of us want to die, the message is it's not painful. It's extraordinary. Dr. Cummings mentioned a paper that he read. It's called Six Major Challenges Faced by Near-Death Experiencers, by Yolaine Stout. Challenges being processing a shift in reality, accepting the return, sharing the experience, integrating new spiritual values with earthly expectations, adjusting to heightened sensitivities and supernatural gifts, and finding and living one's purpose. Let's go to the break and we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
0: Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up.
6: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do. Yes.
5: This is a show about women.
6: We're happy to let you know that our Coast to Coast AM official YouTube channel has now reached 300,000 subscribers. You can listen to the first hour of recent and past shows all for free. So head on over to coasttocostam.com and hit the YouTube icon at the top of the page. This is free show audio, so don't wait. Coasttocostam.com is where you want to be.
5: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
6: The best afterlife information you can get while you're alive. Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain.
7: Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. And before we get on to the question about are there earthbound spirits, I'm wondering if you and I can put a little fun in funeral planning. While that may seem like a morbid concept, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of feeling afraid of the actual dying process. And my voice inside my head, you know, that little negative voice that we all have, is doing everything possible to keep us alive, which is good. We're not ready to go. But so many of us don't deal with the fact that while our bodies are going to stop, we're going to continue on. We are going on the best vacation Of our lives. In fact, when we get over there, it'll be this life that seemed like just the dream. We'll realize we are home. Many years ago, my friend Andy died. Shortly after his death, in fact, within a week, his father died. I went to the funeral, and in my mind's eye, I saw Andy standing on the altar, and also this other decent looking man. I thought it was my imagination, but those images stayed true to life. Now, Andy was not in the greatest of health when he passed, but the vision of him, he was healthy, he was young, he was slender. After the funeral, we went into the back room of the church as there was a celebration of life with tea and coffee and cookies. And there was a shrine that was created for Andy and his father. I looked at the pictures, and his father was the same man that I had seen in my vision standing on the altar in the church. Not only that, but when my own dad passed, I was comforted because at the end of the pew, he was standing there. I think that in the deepest times of grief that our loved ones can work some magic to say hey i'm still here with you there was a lot of unfinished business that we had to deal with after the death of my dad which left me estranged from my siblings becoming one of those stories you hear about the siblings fighting not long ago I had the question in my mind, if I pass or my mom passes and we find each other gone, what do you do? I thought to reach out to a funeral home and a nice gal named Brenna called me back. I found out the first thing we do is we call 911. If someone passes in hospice or in a hospital, they take care of the arrangements, but the person has to be pronounced dead first. Brenna then dropped off a package into our mailbox. In the package was a price list of funerals and expenses. And after taking a quick look, I'm happy to go in a cardboard box and be cremated the cheapest way possible. Put me in a cookie jar. I'm happy with that. But also she left two copies of what's called a personal planning guide. I love it. And Brenna, if you're listening, thank you, because I did tell her about my show. Many funeral homes within the US and Canada are hooked up to what's called Dignity Memorial. I am not a paid affiliate, but I think what they do is great. If you go to DignityMemorial.com, you can request or look up the personal planning guide. That little voice inside of our head may have you want to resist this conversation. So if you think about this, like you are going on the trip of a lifetime, wouldn't we all make sure we have all of our things in place so that our businesses run while we're gone? Our family has everything they need. Well, this personal planning guide has all the basics. I suggest you get a hard copy of it from one of the funeral homes and fill it out for yourself. Now, the will is something separate. That's definitely important. In the inside cover of the planning guide, it says, plan ahead for the celebration of a lifetime. And yeah, let's look at it that way. So what's inside the planning guide? It helps you leave your legacy. You can write down your genealogy, who your family members are. Of course, there's a place to fill in whether you want to be cremated or buried in the cemetery. You list the important organizations that need to know that you have departed, people to contact, your social security information, estate information, passwords for some of your accounts that are important, where your finances are kept, your online profiles, You can also plan your obituary. Wouldn't that be great? Saying what you want to say about the life you just led. Messages to your loved ones. In it, there's assistance to family and friends. This thing is a nice workbook and it is free. So, besides having the will, do yourself a favor get in touch with a funeral home, whether it's through Dignity Memorial or your local funeral home and take away some of the fear around funeral planning and put in a little fun. And speaking of fun, I did a little look to see if funeral home directors believe in the afterlife. And here's some of the stories that I found. This one is from Sarah. I am a funeral home owner and licensed director. I do believe in an afterlife, though I have never yet encountered any ghosts in the funeral home. My belief in the afterlife comes from reading accounts of people who have died and then come back to life. My favorite is Proof of Heaven, written by distinguished neurosurgeon, Eben Alexander. Being in my profession, surrounded by death daily, you have to accept your own mortality. I'm in my mid-60s. You live on through the DNA in your children. But I also know matter cannot be destroyed, only changed in form. Therefore, I am very comfortable knowing that there is an afterlife. Maybe not living in the clouds or wearing white robes and playing harps, but there is some form of eternal life. Here's a story by Maria. She says, one of my uncles runs a very interesting business. His business is making coffins. Some of these coffins are engraved beautifully and made from great quality of wood, mahogany, sandalwood, or even teak. And his warehouse is right next door to his house. When we stayed in his house one time, I woke up disturbed by a banging noise that was coming from his warehouse. I woke up to find him still watching the television late at night. I said to him, hey, you're still awake? He said, yeah, just waiting for a call. Go back to sleep, darling. It's still midnight. Then I said, yes, but with that banging noise, it's so hard to sleep. He says, oh, don't worry about it. I didn't quite understand what he meant by waiting for a phone call related to this banging or knocking sound on the wood. I left him for the night, and about 10 minutes later, I could hear him speaking on the phone saying, yes, yes, I have the one of teakwood for you. It'll be ready tomorrow. And then he hung up. In the morning when we all sat down to breakfast, one of his workers told him the teakwood coffin was ready to be delivered to the funeral parlor. So he just nodded and then left. So I said, hey, what happened last night? My uncle and my father just looked at each other While my mother and sister were busy making breakfast, my dad said, Well, whenever someone dies, the deceased always knock on one of the coffins that they choose and call your uncle to let him know which one they want. Usually, after knocking and banging, there comes a phone call. And it has been this way for the last 20 years. My uncle still is running that coffin, making business, and now his son is involved. Funeral director Clint said, my wife was an embalmer. Occasionally, a spirit would make itself known. Once, while applying makeup to an elderly grandmother, she was about to apply a natural toned lipstick when she felt a light tapping on her shoulder. In her mind, she heard, I want red lipstick. However, my wife felt that red was inappropriate for the occasion, so she said no. She heard it again, I want red lipstick. And then again, she said no. My wife silently said to this spirit, you're going to look like a prostitute at your own funeral. She turned around and saw her supervisor staring at her with crossed arms. Suddenly, a tube of lipstick popped out of the makeup case, and rolled across the table. Open it, the supervisor said. It was the brightest red shade of lipstick in the case. Grandma got her wish. My dear grandmother, Betsy, got her wish too. Her favorite hat said on it, bad hair day. And guess what was in the coffin with Grammy? Yep, that hat. If you want some good stories, there's a book called Confessions of a Funeral Director by Caleb Wild. You might want to check that out. I don't know about you, but for me, I want to have everything planned so that my loved ones know exactly what to do. I want it to be a huge party. Bring a pinata, margaritas and some great music because I am living on and I am going to lead the biggest conga line in the afterlife. And what about you? If we're going to witness our own funerals, what do we wanna see happen? Think about it and make a plan for it. So let's go to the break and we'll be back to find out, is there such thing as earthbound spirits? You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM, Paranormal Podcast Network.
6: Stay right there. There's more Sandra coming right up. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
3: You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean,
7: you do? Yes.
2: This is a show about women.
5: Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European Political Systems class at Baruch College. Woo!
2: Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare—
6: Hey, it's the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren. Don't forget to check out my show, Strange Things, each week as I bring you the world of the truly amazing and bizarre right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
0: Hi, it's Dr. Sky. Keep it right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
7: To Shades of the Afterlife, I'm Sandra Champlain. There's a lot of new age and interesting beliefs about the afterlife. Some of it I believe in and some of it I think is pretty far out and crazy. I wanna talk a little bit about earthbound spirits on this segment. If you are somebody who believes in that and it empowers you to live your life and gives you meaning, by all means, go ahead and believe. But I've studied at the great Arthur Finley College, the oldest school on mediumship on planet Earth, and they say, no, you're either here or you're there. There's no middle ground. I really dislike people talking about these earthbound spirits. You tell a parent whose child has passed that they're stuck somewhere. And that, to me, is one of the scariest things imaginable. They aren't stuck. They're alive and well, and you'll see them again. Just as a confirmation, last night, we asked this question to our resident friend in the afterlife, Eric Robert Johnston, who speaks through transmedium Scott Milligan. I have over 180 hours of recordings from Mr. Eric. He never misses a beat. You've asked for more of Eric. Here I am. Last night, he was answering a question about heartbreak. And then I ask him about Earthbound Spirits.
1: Every time you think of a happy memory, that is them thinking of you. Every time you think of a nightmare, that is of your own making. Not the desire of the one in our reality. Be gentle on yourself, my dear boy. And live your life. Bring your love into this world and understand that one day you will hold the hands of those who you love and who truly loved you back. My dear boy, nothing will ever be pleasing. I offer these words to you. As many people at this moment offer their love and good wishes because they have loved and they know the pain. And you have given those an opportunity by asking your question that has helped many under your son. Is that pleasing for you, my dear boy? That was wonderful. Thank you. You are indeed most welcome. Continue to live. And don't hide from this world, because the world will miss you. Let us move along. Time is against me. I will take one more inquiry.
7: All right. Eric, I'll ask this question on behalf of Judith.
1: And I trust that she is well. Yes,
7: she is. She says, Eric, are there earthbound spirits who have not found their way completely to the other side, such as a soul who passed quickly in a suicide accident or possibly making promises prior to their passing, saying, I will always be with you. I will never leave you. Thank you.
1: Oh, dear. There is no earthbound spirits, there are only earthbound souls. And those are people like yourselves. When the mortal death comes, your soul knows where it must go and it will go there like asleep and being awoken instantaneously. May I say, as some may fall on their sword. Do you remember coming to this world? And do you remember how you got here? No, you do not. Because your soul knew what it needed to do. And likewise, when the mortal death comes, it will go where it is meant to. This thought that we need rescuing, we come to rescue you. But we find it amusing. But we also see hope. Hope that humanity has moved away from this realization that when you are dead, you are dead. In actuality, you are more alive than you ever were. Not being exhausted. Not having the resources to be the best that you can. And so, my friend, what they knew then is different to what we know now. They came to an idea that many people need saving. You do need saving from your insanity. And I mean no insult when I say it but one must move away from the stain within books in knowledge that believes that we need saving, encouraging. Have you all been to our destination? No, you have not. You are simply the travelers through life. When you come to your death, No matter how you come to our world, be it through your hand, be it through disease, natural causes, or by the hand of someone else, you will feel like you fall asleep. And the moment that you have fallen asleep, you awaken, refreshed, rejuvenated in the golden shores of our reality. It will be a celebration, and our world will cheer. But the sadness to this, is, we celebrate those who are left behind, will fall into hell, because you will fall into grief. These are the ones that need rescuing, support, and encouragement. That is why, my friends, we say, through tongue and cheek, we come to rescue you. So do not allow death to give you fear. It is the body that will experience the pain, the confusion. Some will be excited, some will be at peace. But was it not written from dust to dust? ashes to ashes. Come from dust and return to it. But something so great, something so powerful, as who you are can never die. Believe or do not. I am a testament that I have become a friend to death. And now I have understood It was a lie. I was not judged. I did not have to turn left or right to hell or to heaven. I stood and felt that I could breathe more easily, think more deeply and have clear vision. And as the light shone into my eyes, in the center of it, was my wife, my children, my family, and my soul said, Oh, my God, and I was there. Each of you will experience the quickening, as I have said, but only when you have lived your life. Sandra, my dear, would that be pleasing for you? Very much. Thank you, Eric. We have come to the turning point where I must stand and you, good people, must continue to live your life in accordance to the natural law. Make mistakes and make greater mistakes. But live and live your life to be the best that can. Leave room within your heart to think of others who are less fortunate than self. Be patient with those who think they're grander than oneself. But no matter if one is rich or poor, you still come to the same place. And so go out into your world, And know that our world walks with you and wipe away the tears and clear away the clouds of confusion so that the great horizon stands firmly in front of you. Until such times that you are called, we remain your friends and faithful servants to humanity in your understanding of God. May God bless and keep each and every one of you, and bless the symbol that you carry that only promotes peace, not conflict. And may bless the families that you represent here. May they too be touched and held in the most tender manner. Good day to you, my friend.
7: And good day to you, Eric. And thank you and those that work with you. And for my friend who is listening to Shades of the Afterlife today, please come join Scott and myself at one of our live sittings. They're called In the Arms of Eternity. You can go to wedontdie.com, click on the store page, come for free, leave a donation, your choice. If these episodes make a difference for you, Can I ask a favor? Would you share them, whether it's social media or by word of mouth? If you're on Apple Music or Spotify, leave a review. It would help other people. And you never know who needs just a little bit of a lift. I'm Sandra Champlain. Thank you. You have been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM. Paranormal Podcast network
0: and if you like this episode of shades of the afterlife wait until you hear the next one thank you for listening to the iheart radio and coast to coast am paranormal podcast network
4: Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at Shopify.com/slash listen.
3: You don't put those inside of you, do you?
4: This is a show
2: about women.
3: I mean, you do? Yes.
2: Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted,
4: not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was ten. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs)
2: Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever
0: you get your podcasts.